again, everyone. I'm Brian DiNovellis, and we've hit 60. The big 6-0. Our 60th episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast in just about two years. Not too shabby, right? It's been awesome putting this podcast together. Big shout out to my guy, Tasso Stefanidis, for pushing me over the edge and saying, hey, why can't you do a podcast? Who says you can't do a podcast? So, Tasso, thank you. Uh, it's been a great ride so far. I've had a lot of great guests on. Talked to a lot of great coaches, broadcasters, and players, and it, it's just been a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast as well, and and I continue to just thank you for downloading it and encourage you to go out there and, and share it, subscribe to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, like us, give us a review, and keep spreading the message of what we're doing here. I really do appreciate it. So this show is going to be about uh, a little bit about Seton Hall going in the opposite direction. All right. They're not playing their best basketball of the year. A lot about Fordham because they are the biggest surprise in the tri-state. And I'll have Keith Ergo, their first year head coach, on a little bit later. And we'll talk about the conference tournaments that have gotten underway, the zaniness that's going on in the Northeast Conference. So a lot to talk about. I want to begin with Seton Hall because I was at the game against Villanova. It was senior night. It was a great scene before the game. Tyrese Samuel and Trey Jackson were honored. Seton Hall chose to honor just the academic seniors because last year, Jameer Harris had his senior night and Casey and Defo had his senior night at St. Peter's. So Seton Hall chose to just do the academic seniors. And it's so weird, right, in this day and age of what's going on with senior nights, because a lot of these seniors have another year or even two years of eligibility the way things are. So they're not they're seniors in academic standing, but they're not seniors in terms of playing years, right, because they still have some left. But stop me if you've seen this script before stop me if you've seen this movie villanova and seton hall are playing a close basketball game it's nip and tuck neither team is jumping out to a double digit lead they're keeping it close four five six points one direction or the other minimal runs villanova takes the lead seton hall takes the lead and yet you get to the final two minutes and certainly in the final minute Villanova makes the plays in crunch time and Seton Hall finds a way to turn the ball over or have a shot go in and out or not make a free throw right how many times have we seen it nine of the last ten meetings between these two Big East rivals have been decided by six points or less. And I think the number is 12 out of the last 14 meetings have gone to Villanova in that very same passion. So when this game was tied with a minute and a half to go, tell me, Seton Hall fans, you weren't thinking, don't tell me Villanova's going to make a play again. Well, they did. Right, Tyrese Samuel, let's go two minutes left in the game. Tyrese Samuel hits a big three-pointer. He rarely shoots threes this year, but he hits a three to put Seton Hall up two. Villanova needing a bucket to tie the game. Seton Hall needing a stop. 
and they got the ball to Justin Moore. He gets a layup. So now we're tied. So it's the most important possession of the game for Seton Hall. A minute to go, tie ball game. Everybody's on their feet. And I'm thinking, how many timeouts does Seton Hall have left? Two? Use a timeout. Shot. Get your guys in a position. Dictate what you want them to do. Because this is not a good offensive team. We know that. We know They're one of the worst offensive teams in the Big East. He didn't. All right, that's a coach's decision. I'm not pointing the finger, but I know what I would have done in that situation. He lets it play out. The shot clock's winding down under 10, and the ball finds the hands of Jameer Harris. Gets a good look. It hits the rim, hits the rim again, and bounces out. Villanova gets the rebound. 50 seconds to go. And what does Kyle Neptune do? timeout and I'm thinking to myself Jameer is not the guy that Seton Hall wanted taking that shot it was a good look and you want nothing more than a guy who struggled all year with his shot to be able to hit the game winning shot against Villanova on senior night his last game ever at that arena But storybook endings don't always come true, ladies and gentlemen. I would have much rather have had the ball in the hands of Femi Odukale or Tyrese Samuel or Alamir Dawes, who had 21 points. Femi had his best all-around game in a Seton Hall uniform, a near triple-double. He had a double-double with 14 points and 10 rebounds. But you have to live and die with that. Of course, Villanova... Comes out of the timeout. They run their set. Tyree Samuel fouls Eric Dixon. And my God, how many fouls did Jeffrey Anderson and this officiating crew call in the second half? There were three fouls in the first half. Total, combined, three. And I'm thinking, is this a Big East game? Is this a Big East basketball game? Three total fouls? And of course, it was too good to be true because the referees decided in the second half, the officials decide, let's get our money's worth tonight, boys. Let's start blowing the whistle. Let's really screw with them. How do you call the game one way in the second half and you call it completely different in the second half? I mean, a touch foul here. Tyree Samuel had three fouls, touch fouls in the span of, you know, less than two minutes. And he goes to the bench midway through the second half and he sits for six minutes. Oh, by the way, with three fouls, right? Seton Hall's up three at the time. And by the time he comes back into the game, I think they were down three. That's a six-point swing with your most important player available on the bench. Now, Seton Hall would rally the tie. They took the lead. But again, crucial foul calls in the final minute of a Seton Hall-Villanova game, 99 times out of 100, go in favor of Villanova. I call it as I see it. And in my opinion, Villanova, 99% of the time, gets the calls. All right? And I will argue with that with anyone. They always seem to get the calls when it matters. Okay? So 
I'm not saying Tyrese didn't follow him, but they got the call. Villanova hits two free throws. Seton Hall comes down. Casey and Defo turns it over. Villanova comes down, hits two more free throws. Now it's a four-point game. 30 seconds ago, it was tied. Seton Hall had the ball with a chance to take the lead. That was the sequence of the game that won it for Villanova. That 30, 35-second stretch when Seton Hall had a missed three by Harris, the turnover by Indefo, Villanova converts four free throws. And of course, we know the story from there. Seton Hall fouls Justin Moore. Justin Moore hits two free throws. Seton Hall hits two free throws. Inbounds. Seton Hall fouls Justin Moore. Justin Moore hits two free throws. Justin Moore hit eight free throws. Eight for eight free throws in the final 25 seconds. He came into the game as a 71% free throw shooter. He came out of the game as a 79% free throw shooter. He was nine for nine. Villanova for the game, 22 for 23. They made their first 22 free throws. Every time they went to the line, there was no doubt in my mind they were making the free throw. I don't think one of their free throws hit the damn rim. There was not one free throw that hit the rim, hit the backboard, went in, hit the front of the rim, bounced in. They were pure. That's Villanova. Seton Hall played well in this game. Seton Hall played well enough to win. Across the board, 46% field goals, 44% from three, 78% from the free throw line. They were good enough to win. Villanova was better. They were just a little bit better. That's the Villanova way. And that's why they won. And now Seton Hall is reeling at the wrong time. They had a chance to be the sixth seed in the Big East tournament. And now they're locked into the 7-10 game against DePaul Wednesday night at 5.30. They've lost three straight. They've lost five of six when they had an opportunity to control their own NCAA tournament destiny. They couldn't win at home against Creighton. They had a, a poor performance by Villanova on the road. They couldn't take advantage of that. They got walloped by Xavier at home. And they gave great effort. The best effort they had given in several games and came up short against Villanova. So now the team is reeling. They have Providence on Saturday. You don't know if Kadari's Richmond is playing. Kadari Richmond may be done for the season. I don't know, but it's possible with his back injury that he's played his last game this season. If they have him against Providence, they'll have a better shot. And Providence, oh, by the way, just lost at home to Xavier for the first time this season, their first home loss. So, you know, they're going to be angry because they're playing for seeding in the Big East tournament. They need this win to hang on to no worse than third or fourth place. Otherwise, they can fall back to fifth with UConn. So a lot at stake for them. Seton Hall, meanwhile, is, is at this point playing for pride, trying to get some momentum 
going into the Big East tournament. Some level of confidence. So after the game, I want to play some sound for you. There have been many games after losses that Shaheen Holloway was dejected, didn't know what to say. It wasn't like that. This team is hanging on to hope. Shaheen Holloway applauded his team's effort. It was all positive in that post-game press conference following the loss to Villanova. You know, I thought we competed. You know, I thought guys competed. I thought we competed. I thought we gave everything we had. You know, I, I couldn't, I, I went in the locker room. I can't say, you, we didn't do this. We didn't, no, guys played extremely hard. We did everything. We made our free throws. You know, think about it. You, you shoot, you know, 45%, which is not great, but solid. You shoot 44% from three and 78 from the free throw line. You do stuff like that, those are winning games, right? That's, that's winning games. You know, the problem is like, you make a couple of bonehead plays down the stretch and, and, and cost you against a team like this. We battled, you know. Uh, I think that's the, you know, it's the point one man goes down. You know, we just got to keep on going out there and playing hard. <laughs> Played a hard game, you know. They, they made 22, what were they, 22 for 23 from the free throw line. Like, it's hard to beat a team like that, like, when they're making so many free throws down the stretch. So, we played hard, you know, I give credit to them. Uh, we still got a good Providence team coming up and we have the biggest tournament coming up. So, that's what we're really focused on right now. Right now, everybody's hurt, but we got to look at the next game ahead and everybody got to pick up their head for the Providence. Providence is a good team and we feel like we could be any time team in this league. So, right now, our mindset is worry about the next one, but this game right here stings. Just didn't execute the way I wanted to, um, but I can't be mad at them, man. They gave me everything tonight, you know, and that's all you can ask for, man. We put ourselves in a position to win and just didn't make a play. I give Shaw credit. I give Tyrese Samuel credit. By the way, after the game, big shout out to my, my friend, Jerry Carino, who came up with this idea. Longtime Seton Hall beat writer, J.P. Pelsman, who we miss dearly, died coming out of COVID. And Seton Hall did a fantastic job saving uh, a seat for J.P. press row all season long. JP's been on my podcast. We would talk every single game that we saw each other at Seton Hall. Uh, big Hofstra guy as well. Did a lot for the Dutchman. And I said the Dutchman. Did I say the Dutchman? <laughs> Did a lot for the pride. <laughs> it tells you how old I am. And, and always, always uh, was a friend of everyone and a mentor to everyone in that press room. So Jerry Carino comes up with the idea to give an annual award an engraved pen the jp pelsman award to the one seton hall player who's done the most for the media or with the media all season long and deservedly so it went to the senior leader tyrese samuel so big shout out to tyrese big shout out to jerry carino for orchestrating that and that is something that will continue in jp's memory may he rest in peace uh we do miss him a lot what, what a great guy and a great loss for all of us. So that's the way we conclude that. We'll see where Seton Hall goes from here. Uh, I don't have the faith that they can go into Providence and beat a team that's hungry. But listen, if this team shows the fight and the heart and the grit, they match up with Providence. This is a matchup. It wouldn't surprise me if Seton Hall wins. They will go in as a big underdog. But it wouldn't surprise me if they can put it together and come out with a win. But... The way you're playing, the way they're playing, as hard as it's been for them to get a win, after a while, you just get dejected going out there, given the amount of effort that they're giving. 
and not coming out with a win. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. And we'll see if Seton Hall can go into the Big East tournament with some sort of confidence. All right, switching gears. The biggest surprise in the Tri-State this season has been Fordham. Have you heard the roar coming from the Bronx this year? The Rams have won 23 games. It's their highest win total since 1991. That's 22 years. Guys by the name of Damon Lopez and John Prelu. And there was also a guard in that team by the name of Mike Rice. That team won 25 games. But that was then. This is now. The head coach now is Keith Ergo. And it is my pleasure to welcome onto the podcast for the first time the head coach of Fordham in his first year with the program, Keith Ergo. Coach, thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking with you. And I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be on your show. I, I appreciate you having me on. And, um, you know, it, we are incredibly grateful for the opportunity to um, continue to talk about our, our student athletes, continue to talk about our program. So any chance we get the opportunity to do so, we want to take advantage of that. So I appreciate you, you having me on and, and um, promoting our program. So, Coach, let me just set the stage here, right? I am talking to you as we're recording this interview at around 10.30 on Thursday morning. Flashback to Wednesday night, and, and I know it was a difficult, grinding loss for you against George Mason, but, yeah. you know, did you even get much sleep after that loss? You lose an overtime on the road, a game you had a chance to win late, a ball rims out, and, and here you are talking to me at 10.30. I mean, did, did you sleep at all? You know what? I, uh, I'm used to not sleeping too much. I got four children under the age of 11, so I, I don't sleep a whole lot after wins or losses, quite honestly. But, you know, we got back about 1, 1.30 in the morning. So, um, you know, that's one of the things that I don't think too many casual fans understand. These kids battle going to overtime, gave absolutely every ounce of energy. Um, they're exhausted. They're sore. Um, it's such a grind. They get back at 1.30. They get up. They got to go to class this morning. And we got to, you know, we got to get back in the lab, as we call it, um, by 1, 1.30 this afternoon and get right back to work and focus on ourselves for a day and then, you know, start focusing on Duquesne tomorrow. But I don't think people necessarily understand the grind that these kids go through and what they put their bodies and their minds through over the course of, you know, a six, seven-month season. And quite honestly, they've been here since June 1st getting after it. So it's a long grind, and these kids are giving us everything they've got. Yeah, rest is so much a part of what we've learned throughout the years. You know, for for athletes, rest is yeah. more important than anything. So I'm yeah. sure you go light with them today and 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 get back at it tomorrow, like you said. Yeah, you wish you could get back on the court and start working on some things you didn't do great, and and so you could be more consistent. But you know, you're also going to be smart. A recovery is in, is imperative. You know, these guys have put in the work. Most of them know pretty much everything we're doing now. It's it's making sure the mental is 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 um, is as rested as much as the physical. So um, we got great leaders. We got upperclassmen that know what they need to do to make sure their bodies are in top shape and taken care of. So we'll focus more on the mental aspect of it today with film and then a little yoga session with some stretching and get some free throws up, but nothing crazy. We'll walk, watch a little personnel on Duquesne, uh, but but more of a, a much lighter day, but more focus on rest and recovery. 
There you go. A little yoga and Zen a la Phil Jackson. I, I, I like yeah. it, coach. I like it. Yeah. Body and mind. So Body where's mind. the mindset following that loss? You know, just to for fans who don't know, oh. uh, you lost a, a heartbreaker against George Mason, really like a, a meat grinder type of game coach in overtime. Yeah. And, uh, I looked at the stats. You shot three for 29, 10% in the first half. You score 16 points. Did I read that right? Unfortunately, you did. But, you know, with credit to our guys, we still only gave up 23 points in the first half and, and brought it to overtime. And we talk about that all the time. We talk about not letting making or missing shots dictate our effort. That's exactly what our guys did. I mean, so proud of the way they battled. It's so easy to to, to fall prey to, to being selfish, whether or not you're making or missing shots and lacking effort or compounding the problem on the defensive end. Our guys never did that. They never gave in. They're so tough. They're so physical. They play so hard for one another. And that gave us an opportunity to win a game that otherwise we had no business being in. And you got to give credit to Kim English and his staff. He does a tremendous job. They're really hot right now. They've got great balance. Yeah. Um, we wore them down over the course, I think, of, of the, the first 40 minutes. We got a, a Doro out of the game in foul trouble, which was one of the keys for us. And um, we fought back and had a chance to win it. And sometimes, you know, we've been on the fortunate end of the, those finishes more often than not this, this year. So, you know, today it's just about staying positive, learning from our mistakes. You know, we, we got to be a little bit mentally tougher in certain situations. But for the most part, you know, all we can ask is that our guys go out and literally play as hard as they possibly can for one another. There's no doubt in our minds that they did that. And sometimes you're going to lose. Some Most times you're going to win if that's the effort you put forth. Unfortunately, George Mason made the plays down the stretch. Credit to them. Yeah, you know what, but Coach, you said it. You Your team fought back from adversity on the road. You fought back to tie that game on a couple of free throws with a minute and a half to go by Khalid Moore and had two chances in the final minute. So, you put them, they put themselves in a position to win. The shot just didn't fall. How about those last couple of possessions, including the final one where the ball rimmed out at the buzzer? Yeah, you know what? Um, we had the ball, uh, I think, with a minute or so to go. We had a baseline out of bounds or no. I think we might have been uh, 30-something seconds. Uh, we had the ball, timeout. We got a great shot, and the ball went out of bounds on them, so we reset the shot clock. We had an inbounds play. Um, they went zone, and uh, Darius Quisenberry, I thought, made a great play, giving right back to Entrell. You know, after watching the replay, his foot was clearly in the in inbounds, not only once but twice. But it's human error that th those things happen. We had the same thing happen the other day when we were up three against Rhode Island. After watching the film, it was clear his foot was down, but they called him, you know, stepping inbounds. They said he didn't establish at least a toe before receiving the pass. So our guys, but but. A lot of teams would have folded right there. Oh, my goodness. Tie game. We just gave, you know, they had the chance to win. But, no, we bared down. We got the necessary stop. And then with about six and a half seconds, we have a play that we run. And it was run to – they executed it fantastic, which is a testament to our guys being able to do that under the pressure. We got a great shot from a kid who has hit several game winners already this year. So, you know, that's all you can ask for. Then we went into overtime, and they made some plays, and unfortunately we, we couldn't make some plays down the stretch. And, you know, that, that stuff happens, especially on the road. And they're playing very well right now. So, you know, to be able to go into their house, which was raucous and it was loud, especially late, you know, and, and battle like that, I'm really, really proud of our effort, and I think we're going to learn a lot from it. There, there's no doubt. There's always lessons to be learned. And there may not be a more raucous arena in the tri-state 
than what's going on at Rose Hill this year. How, yeah. how about the, the just the crowd atmosphere there? And I guess you coined the new name for Rose Hill is Rose Thrill, huh? Yeah, I mean, if you've been in that gym in the last month, you've realized that 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 rings true. And the shirtless herd has been t- tremendous. I mean, we're trying to do something that's that's never been done here before. We're trying to create a consistent tradition. There's been tradition. There's been great teams. There's been great coaches. There've been fantastic staffs and unbelievable players. But we're trying to do something that we can maintain for years to come. And and, and it's really important that our fan base is engaged, excited about what's happening. And it's clear as day that they are. And it's an advantage for us every time we step into that gym and. Our players know it. Our players embrace it. And we need it this weekend to be the loudest, the most um, energetic. We need a home court advantage unlike any other time as we're playing for that top four seed and, you know, against a team that's very, very talented and also very hot and also playing for a top four seed. So it's going to be a tremendous, tremendous game. I think Rose Thrill will be out of control, which is what we need. It's been fantastic. The energy they brought. The home court advantage it's presented is 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 completely evident. Coaches have mentioned it. Players have mentioned it. So we are incredibly grateful for the fan base, for the students. Um, and we appreciate it. And hopefully we can continue that for many, many more years. So you say you're grateful. The fans are grateful. The players are grateful. But for you personally, Coach, you've you've gone up through the ranks and, and done a, an incredible job as an assistant coach at programs like Villanova, and being involved with Jay Wright there and and Kyle Neptune. And then, you know, you go on to success, uh, a lot of success as an associate head coach at Penn State. And then you're under Kyle Neptune. You find yourself at Fordham coaching under Kyle Neptune last year. Yeah. Uh, circumstances go another way. Jay Wright retires. Kyle Neptune yeah. goes to Villanova. Here you are in your first season as a college head coach. Wow. I mean, that's a lot to unfold. How grateful yeah. are you to be in this position at Fordham with this opportunity uh, this season and and what's at stake on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I'm incredibly grateful. I talk about it all the time. I'm blessed. I think everything happens for a reason. You know, it's ironic that, you know, I'm one of 10 children, nine boys and one girl. and I'm the only one out of the family that played basketball. And my father was a basketball player. He played at Fordham in 1954, 59 graduate, 62 law graduate at Fordham. Not only am I the only one to play basketball similar to him, but I, I you know, obviously I'm the only one that, that coaches basketball. And to, to be coaching at his alma mater while he's still alive and being able to watch it, it is to me, um, you know, it's 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 um, it's meant to be. It's meant to be. I've been raised by the Jesuits my entire life. Went to Jesuit schools. Went to Jesuit high school, college, and you know, believe in the mission of of pure pure personalis. Believe in bringing in kids to the Fordham community that fit not just on the basketball court, but in the community. I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to the board of trustees for seeing that president Tetlow, obviously Eddie Cole, everything's moving in the right, right direction in Fordham. I, I feel like I'm just in the right time in the right place to take over a program that's headed in this direction with some incredible energy with the fan base. Um, the sky's the limit here at Fordham and hopefully we reach it. Yeah. You know, listen, I, I'm, I'm a religious person myself, coach. And, and I believe, Things do happen for a reason. And yeah. I, I'm with you. you. You were meant to be at this program. Do you think about that? And and like, wow, I guess it was meant to be. Yeah, there's no question. Now, it didn't come from a lot of blood, sweat and tears over the course of 20 something years, you know, coaching and going to camps and eight weeks of summer camp for several summers in a row. 
traveling to and from, you know, a million places to meet coaches and see practices, network and, you know, and, and sacrifice for my own wife and my own children. And so it's not like something that just kind of happened. It's, it's, it's been a, a work in progress over 20 years, but it's just funny how it all happens at Fordham at this time with great players. You know, coaches are only as good as their, their players and their staff. We have an unbelievable staff here at Fordham that Coach Neptune and I put together last year. And they, you know, fortunate for me, they stuck around. And the players that were in that locker room wanted to stick around. And the, and the kids that came into the program, we have fantastic kids that absolutely take pride in the name on the front of the jersey. So, you know, I'm in, I mean, I, like you mentioned, I could say grateful a million times, blessed because, you know, again, lightning in a bottle, right time, right place with great kids, great staff, great community. You know, you're absolutely right. Behind every great man is a better woman. So yeah, God right bless your that. wife, coach. Yeah. <laughs> And You're your right kids. About that. Thank you. So, so, all right, let's talk about the players because coaches cannot win without players. And boy, you've got yeah. some graduate seniors there. Darius Quisenberry recently went over 2,000 points for his career this season. Yeah. And, you know, you got a guy, in, uh, a transfer from Georgia Tech and more who you landed uh, through the portal. I, I guess those are the two senior leaders or graduate senior leaders at the top of your, your board there. What's it like to be around these players and and those veterans. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with Darius Quisenberry. He had multiple opportunities to leave in May and decided to stay and play out his final year here with us. And uh, that grateful, that word grateful, it's funny because it's uh, part of our five pillars of excellence, which are, you know, kind of our so-called core values of our program. And gratitude is is one of the main pillars. And, um, you know, I'm grateful to Darius for, for believing in and having faith, which is another one of our pillars. And and us and, and our staff and, and Fordham and seeing kind of the vision that we've had. And we talked to these guys about being trailblazers, just coming to a place and doing something that never been done. They took a lot of pride in that, Darius especially. And I think his leadership from last year to this year is one of the main differences, if not the biggest difference in why we're seeing the success we have. You know, he's been leading along with Khalid and along with Antrell and Kyle Rose from the locker room. And it's, it, it, it's coming up to the court as opposed to, from the coaching staff down to the locker room, which we had to do a lot more of last year. So his leadership is absolutely um, kind of stamped on this program for years to come. And, and Khalid Moore was, you know, very fortunate. He's from uh, the area, went to, um, went Arch to school with Archbishop Malloy, where Eddie Cole went and RAD. So, you know, it was very fortunate that he wanted to come home. He wanted to play a bigger role in his final year. He wanted to get a master's, which he's a very bright kid. And, He's doing that fantastic in school. And then, you know, obviously his versatility has been tremendous in the Atlantic 10. Allows us to switch multiple positions on the defensive end, but he's a major mismatch on the perimeter or in the post uh, in the Atlantic 10. So, you know, the numbers that he's put up, but how good of a kid he is both on and off the court, he's fit exactly what we're trying to bring in here to the locker room. And as a result, he's seen success. Coach, there's, there's something that you just brought up there that really triggered something in my mind. You know, COVID has we, we've we're turning negatives into positives, right? And there's a four-year yeah. cycle where these student athletes across the board, every sport, have had an opportunity to get a fifth year of eligibility. And a yeah. player like Moore, not only can he get an extra year of eligibility, uh, he played four years at Georgia Tech in a limited role, right? Was a very good role player, now can become a star, a leading player at Fordham. But not only that, get his master's. 
Yeah, there's no question. I think some people lose sight of that fact. I mean, the reality is we got into this business when, when I did anyway, um, to turn boys into men, to have a great, uh, to, to build unique and authentic relationships last the next 40 years, not the next four and four or five. And, you know, we've done that with our players and Khalid's taken full advantage of it. We're at a top 50 academic institution in the country to get a degree and then or to get a, a master's degree from Fordham University and be a local kid from the, the tri-state area. I mean, I mean, that's invaluable for years to come. And that's what this is about. It's about building young men with great character who can go out and be tremendous fathers, husbands, you know, in the workforce, utilize their basketball skills and their leadership skills and be successful not only on the court, but also in business if that's what they choose to do. And we've got some young men at Darius Quisenberry and, Khalid Moore, who are getting their masters, are going to be, they're going to take full advantage of those opportunities after they're done playing. I know that for sure. I love it. L- love to hear stories like that. And, and you know that they're going to be successful in whatever they do. So, no so what is this senior night going to be like for you? You have to win a game. You're trying to get a top four seed yeah. in the Atlantic 10, earn a double buy in, in a conference of 15 teams with that yeah. tournament ahead. And, and then you have the emotions of, of senior night and honoring these seniors. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's always a tough night. Should we do it after? Should we do it before? And, you know, you want to make sure you honor them because these kids deserve it. Blood, sweat, and tears they put forth for this institution. They deserve it for our program. And to do it in front of our fans and, the, and what we believe is going to be a ridiculous environment, uh, it's going to be really special for them. And, you know, like like anything else, I, I think they they know what's at stake. They know what their desire is. They know why they came here. And here's it's right in front of them. So they have the opportunity, you know, they're going to have to let their emotions die down for sure. But, you know, I'm pretty confident that both of these kids, they've got their eyes on the prize. They've been in college long enough and they've worked hard enough to know, you know, when it gets down to it and the the whistle's blown, they kind of forget all those things. So, you know, and and win or lose, I mean, we're going to play as hard as we possibly can. And we're going to play for the name of the front of the jersey. And if we do that, we feel like we're going to have a chance to beat anybody, let alone, um, you know, anybody in this league, let alone in the country. And, And we've We've displayed that when we when we've done that. So, you know, I, I think all you can ask as a coach is, you know, execute the game plan as best you can, be dialed in, and and also just play as hard as you possibly can for each other. And whatever those results are afterwards in the locker room, we could deal with it. Just for instance, last night we lost, but I was not disappointed in our effort at all. I mean, we gave every ounce of effort. You can't shoot like that and still have a chance on the road in this league against a great team and a great great staff and a great environment have a chance to win while shooting like that. If you're not playing just extremely unselfish and, and hard on the defensive end, that's all we can ask these coaches. And I'm pretty confident these guys will go into Saturday, giving us that energy and effort and wherever the, whatever the score is at the final buzzer, you know, we'll see. But uh, again, that's all I can ask of them. And I'm pretty confident they'll, they'll put forth that energy. Yeah. Coach, I, you're my kind of coach. Uh, I, I, I played for guys who, who were defensive first mentality, defense, free throws, fundamentals. Uh, and you guys are right up there amongst the league leaders in the A-10 in points allowed and and uh, holding your opponents to field goal percentage and right up there at the top in free throw percentage. Fundamentals still go a long way. Yeah, they do. And we talk about it all the time. You know, we, we got to work on things that we can control. And that's our energy, our effort, being dialed into the personnel and game plan and you know, free throws, we work on them uh, enough all day, every day. These guys put in so much, F- I mean, so much work in the gym. I mean, they, they live the game. They don't just like it. They certainly don't just love it. They live the game. 
It's one of the best groups that I've been around. Every time you walk into that gym, there's multiple guys in there getting extra work in, separate from practice, separate from team film sessions. You know, so all you can ask as a coach is that your kids are going to invest, and they certainly have done that. Final question for me, Coach, is this, and I know you're taking one game at a time, but how about having Fordham in a position that they're in with a chance to maybe make history beyond this game and, and, and get to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1992. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a very difficult road. I mean, the Atlantic 10 is so tough and, and say, you know, most of the teams, if not all, even Loyola Chicago, I think is playing their best basketball right now. They just, you know, every game they play in is a, is a battle late and, and they're going to learn how to win the next league. Cause Drew Valentine's a tremendous coach, but every single team for the most part is playing their best basketball you know, so we got to focus on Saturday first, regardless of what happens, whether or not we play Wednesday or Thursday. You know, I'm really excited about our guys having the effort. I mean, it's, it's you know, winner, winner take all, you know, survive in advance type situation. Anything can happen in, in tournaments, especially in Brooklyn with our fan base hopefully coming in buses. And, you know, our, our guys understand that come Sunday at 0-0, you know, we start from scratch and anything can happen. So we'll get dialed in regardless of who we play and, we play the same way. We focus on ourselves, you know, regardless of who we play. And if we stay disciplined and we play as hard as we've been playing and as connected as we've been, I like our chances to beat anybody at any point in time. But again, the Atlantic 10 is so difficult and so tough right now with such great coaches that every game is going to be a, a is going to be a dogfight. You know that going in. Great stuff, coach. And listen, I, I hope when, when the seedings come out and the matchups come that you're not paired up with Loyal of Chicago because that means you're going up against Sister Jean, and that's just a, <laughs> a higher authority that, that I don't want Fordham to have to deal with right now. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, they're they're talented. We had a great, great game against them at their place. We were fortunate enough to, to end with the victory. We had some big shots down the stretch. We got some stops. But, you know, Drew's done a tremendous job with that program. They've been, they've been in every single game. They've won a couple of great ones here late, and – Every game in the last month or so, they've been battling and come down to the wire. So that's a testament to their staff and their attitude. Well, it's a testament to your staff, your attitude, uh, your support system at Fordham, that the Rams are in the position that they are in, picked 11th in the preseason poll. Here they are with an opportunity against Duquesne on Saturday at Rose Hill with a chance to finish in the top four possibly third place in the conference. Coach, best of luck, and and thank you so much for getting up early and, and coming on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. I appreciate it, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Go Rams. All right, Keith Ergo doing an unbelievable job. He has put himself in position to not only be the Atlantic 10 Coach of the Year, but the Coach of the Year in the metropolitan area. Right now, it's a, it's a two-person race for my book. It's Speedy Claxton, at Hofstra, who probably gets the nod a little bit ahead of him, and it's Keith Ergo. Those are your two top coaches in the metropolitan area this season. All right, before we go, I just want to go around the Tri-State a little bit because there are some crazy things going on in the Northeast Conference. If you haven't heard about it, they had quarterfinal action on Wednesday, and they're, they're already in the semifinals of the Northeast Conference tournament. And you talk about a bizarre situation all right you have the top seed merrimack they're playing sacred heart on saturday in the first semifinal. the game's being played at merrimack then at 8 p.m fairly dickinson hosts saint francis of pennsylvania now stonehill 
is in its first year of playing Division I basketball. They moved up from D2. They finished in third place in the conference, but because they're still in a transition from going from D2 to D1, they're ineligible to participate in the conference tournament. This is Merrimack's fourth year of playing Division I basketball. So they went through this a couple of years ago, but they're still in this four-year transition period that the NCAA has deemed. So hear me out on this. Merrimack's the regular season champion. They can win that game against Sacred Heart on Saturday and go to the conference championship. But even if they win the conference championship, they are ineligible to participate in the NCAA tournament because this is only their fourth year of playing at the Division I level. There's a rule, a four-year NCAA postseason moratorium for schools that transition from D1. This has been in place since 2011. So here's the scenario. Merrimack beats Sacred Heart on Saturday around 8 p.m. when the game ends, and right before Fairleigh Dickinson and St. Francis tip off in Hackensack, those teams will know whoever wins that semifinal is going to the NCAA tournament. What? So they can be celebrating in the locker room knowing that they still have to play for the NEC championship game next week, but it's irrelevant in some ways because even if they lose that game, the championship game, they can go to the NCAA tournament. Meanwhile, Merrimack can go all the way to the championship game, win it, celebrate a Northeast Conference tournament championship, cut down the nets, but know in the back of their minds that that's their final game. They can go to the NIT, but they're not going to the NCAA tournament. But yet the loser of that game will be declared the winner. So did you follow that? Now, listen, it could all be for naught if Sacred Heart and Anthony Latina upset Merrimack and they get to the championship game. Then you'll have a real championship game. Winner take all goes on to the NCAA tournament. So it's an unfortunate situation. I wish that Merrimack would be eligible, but by rule, unless they change it, that's the way it is. Any team coming from D2 to D1 has to wait four years to be eligible for the NCAA tournament. So that's going on this weekend. Plenty of other big action. The Ivy League, of course, still undecided who their regular season champion will be. Princeton will be hosting Penn on Saturday at noon. Princeton can win the Ivy League regular season title with a win and a Yale loss to Brown. Keep an eye on that. Keep an eye also on Ryder. They will close out the regular season at home against, against Iona on Sunday, and the Bronx would clinch the number two seed for the MAC tournament next week with a win if they can finish in second place. Hofstra, meanwhile, they will be playing in the quarterfinals of the Colonial Athletic Association Conference Tournament. They have a bye into the quarterfinals, so they'll be playing their first game of the conference tournament on Sunday. And then, of course, the Big East rounds out the regular season. UConn at Villanova, that is going to be some game Saturday night at the Wells Fargo Center. Seton Hall visiting Providence. St. John's Marquette. And then in the Big Ten, we have Rutgers playing host to Northwestern in a game that has monumental implications in terms of the seeding 
and how things fall for the Big Ten tournament. March Madness is underway. For my money, this is the best time of the year for sports. Certainly the best time of the year for college basketball fans. Enjoy the games, everyone. I will catch you next time right here on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Thanks for listening. So long.